Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the one who has been revealed to us as our divine helper, our Savior from sin, Jesus. Amen. We consider the gospel lesson for today as our sermon text, the account of Jesus changing water into wine at the wedding in Cana from John chapter 2. We hear verses 1 through 11. Please rise as we hear these words in Jesus' name. Three days later, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with you and me? My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Six stone water jars, which the Jews used for ceremonial cleansing, were standing there, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus told them, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did. When the master of the banquet tasted the water that had now become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the banquet called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the guests have had plenty to drink, then the cheaper wine. You saved the good wine until now. This, the beginning of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And we pray. O oh Lord, strengthen us today as we see you revealed to us as one whose heart is willing and as one who has the divine power to help us as we face problems and struggles in life. Amen. Please be seated. In our text for today, we see that our Lord reveals to us the kind of heart that he has a heart that is full of compassion, a heart that is willing to help. And we also see in our text that he possesses the divine power, the glory, the ability to help, to help even with something that might seem to be rather small. It's not a life or death kind of situation or issue. Today we want to consider the divine help revealed at a wedding. Dear friends, have you ever dropped the ball on something that was important? Have you let other people down? Have you disappointed other people by forgetting to do something? We're guilty of this, aren't we? And especially when it comes to our interactions with other people who are relying upon us, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, maybe most painfully when it comes to our own families and marriages. We drop the ball, we let people down, we hurt others by doing this. As we hear our, our epistle lesson for today, and, and St. Paul encourages people, this is how we are to act towards one another. Have we done that? Or have we instead brought disappointment and embarrassment upon ourselves? Do we drop the ball? Do we create problems for ourselves and for other people? At this wedding that we hear about in our text, there was a problem, and it was embarrassing, it was offensive to the guests, it was poor planning and hurtful 
on the part of the groom. Really, it was his responsibility. He had failed in his task to make sure that everything was ready and that everyone who would come and celebrate with him would be provided for. But lo and behold, here in the midst of his wedding celebration, they run out of a basic expectation of the guests. They run out of wine. The bride and the groom, they were in the process here of dropping the ball, letting people down. Really, they were bringing disappointment and embarrassment upon themselves. And it really wasn't the best way to start their married life together. Offending family and friends, bringing stress and, and frustration into this brand new marriage. Now, it doesn't seem perhaps like that big of a deal. I'm sure as f the family and friends would have understood. But still, this was not a good thing. And they needed help. In our text, we hear that it was Mary, Jesus' mother, who recognized that, that help was needed. And so she comes to Jesus, and she makes a statement to him. They have no wine. Now, we get the impression that Mary was implying something here before Jesus. And Jesus even picks up on it when he responds back to Mary by saying, Woman, what does that have to do with you and me? My time has not yet come. Jesus' response here is rather interesting, isn't it? It almost seems as if he's getting snippy with his mother. Woman, why are you telling me? What do you expect me to do? How does this serve my ultimate purpose? It's interesting. Does this, does this response from Jesus discourage Mary? Not at all. With complete confidence in Jesus and in the heart of compassion that Jesus has, and in the ability that Jesus has to help, Mary simply lays the problem down before Jesus, and she leaves it all in his hands. She's trusting that Jesus has a heart willing to help, and she's trusting in his power and ability to make it happen. And that's why she turns to the servants nearby, and she simply says to them, do whatever he tells you, to do. I'm not sure what his plan is, but I know he has it under control. Let's listen and follow what he says to do. It's interesting here because Mary doesn't go and presume to tell Jesus how to fix the problem. She's not trying to micromanage Jesus. She's simply laying the problem down before him. Now, Jesus responds to Mary. It is interesting, and it causes us to, to sometimes pause and wonder, what is he getting at? What does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come, he says. We might think that that seems a little out of character for Jesus. Acting this way, getting brisk, snippy with his own mother. Well, there are times throughout Jesus' ministry, and we see this in other places as well, where it seems that Jesus pushes back against those who come to him. Where he does seem as if he's being snippy and brisk, when he challenges a person who has approached him. Think, for instance, of the Syrophoenician woman. This woman comes to Jesus in need of help for her daughter. What does Jesus do? You remember? He turns and walks away from her. He ignores her. Finally, he turns to that woman and he says, it's not right for me to take the food that belongs to the children and feed it to dogs. 
or even in the Old Testament. Think of what God asked of Abraham. Abraham, I want you to take your beloved son, Isaac, the son that I had promised to you. I want you to go and sacrifice him to me. Why does God, why does Jesus act in these ways? By challenging people like this. Jesus is testing faith. And actually, Jesus is at work to draw out and to strengthen people's faith and trust in him. By laying a challenge in front of people, he is providing opportunities for people to profess their faith in him and ultimately to glorify God. And we see that happening here in our text with Mary. We also see it happening in our own lives, don't we? Haven't there been times where God has pushed back against us? And yet we know the kind of heart that our Savior has. And we know what God has promised us in his word. God works through the problems, through the struggles, even the seemingly small little problems and struggles in our life. He works through these, as St. Paul explains in Romans 5, to produce endurance, which then produces character, which then produces in our hearts hope. God is at work even through these things to draw us close to him. He's teaching us and encouraging us to trust in him, to rely on him, and to turn to him for the help that he wants to give to us. The last statement that Jesus made to Mary is also rather interesting. My time has not yet come. What is Jesus talking about there? Well, he clearly has in mind here the time when his glory would be on full display for everyone to see. He's pointing Mary here in our text, and really he's pointing all of us, to his ultimate purpose for coming into this world. What his heart was really set on and willing and wanting to do. He's pointing us ahead to the time when he would be lifted up and glorified upon the cross, where he would pay for the sins of the whole world. He would redeem us from sin and death. Now, many people out there, they get mixed up about Jesus' glory and about the glorious works and wonders, the miracles that Jesus performs, especially when he makes use of this divine power, people start thinking of things, other things, other than his mission and purpose. Recall the people in John 6 who had been fed this amazing miracle, the more than 5,000 that that Jesus fed out in the wilderness. They wanted to come and they wanted to make him their bread king by force. Or think of King Herod when Jesus was on trial. He was happy to see Jesus because he wanted Jesus to do some tricks, perform some signs and miracles so that he could be entertained. Now giving in to people like this, Jesus would be abusing his power. It would would end up being a distraction from his mission and purpose. Jesus has a heart that is happy and willing to perform miracles for people. He has the power and the desire to help, but he does so always to serve his ultimate purpose, to keep people pointed to and directed towards his heaven-sent mission. 
And that's the point that Jesus is making here in our text when he turns to Mary and he says, my time has not yet come. He's directing her to what really matters, to his ultimate purpose and mission for coming into this world. So are we all clear on what Jesus' mission and purpose is? Why did God the Son leave his throne in heaven, take on human flesh and blood, become one of us here in this world in the person of Jesus? He came to help us with our problems, most notably the greatest problem from which all other problems stem, our problem with sin. Jesus overcame and defeated sin. By coming into this world and by living a perfect life for us as our substitute. Never once did Jesus disappoint anyone. Never did he drop the ball. He never failed to do what he was supposed to do. Jesus never sinned. And with his perfect life, he earned righteousness. A righteousness that he now shares with all who put their trust and faith in him. And Jesus desires all of us to see and to know the kind of heart that he had that was determined to go to the suffering and death even upon the cross in order to pay for, for us, for our sins, for all those times when we have dropped the ball and have failed to do what we are supposed to do. And of course, as he performs miracles throughout his earthly ministry, each one of those miracles that Jesus performed was designed to point people ahead to the greatest miracle of all that he would perform. His rising from the dead, proving that he is true God, our Savior, and proving to us with his resurrection from the dead that all who put their faith and trust in him are also going to stand with him victorious over death itself in eternal life. So, when you are facing problems and troubles in your life, when, you're face, or when your loved ones are facing problems and troubles, even if it isn't a life or death kind of situation, even if it's a matter like this that we find in our text, something that might be embarrassing or disappointing, regardless of what it is, be encouraged to come to Jesus, lay the problem out before him, and then stand back with complete confidence in him. And be willing to do anything that he asks, even if it seems to be something silly or ridiculous or backwards or doesn't make sense to our brains. Even if he ends up pushing back against us, challenging us, even if he allows some sort of hardship to confront you, you can still leave it all in his hands. Know that he is working all things to fulfill his primary mission and purpose for you and for your good. We can do this if we are confident that he has this, this heart of compassion and love for us. And we can do this also if we understand and acknowledge that not only he has the heart, but he has the power, the ability, the glory to take care of things. That enables us to then stand back like the groom does at the end of our text in wonderment and awe. We're told that the servants, they dipped out a cup from those, those jars and took it to the, the banquet master, the wedding coordinator. He takes a sip. He says, this is incredible wine. I thought we were out. 
It was clear he didn't know that it was Jesus doing. Instead, he calls the groom over and he talks to the groom, the one who was really actually responsible for this dilemma in the first place. And the banquet master gives the groom all the credit for this good wine. He says to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the guests have had plenty to drink, then the cheaper wine. You saved the good wine until now. How do you think the groom felt? Happy? Surprised? Really relieved? He probably didn't know how this problem had gotten fixed, but here it was fixed. We have more wine, and really good wine, and over 120 gallons of it. Thanks be to God, indeed. What Jesus does for this groom is a beautiful picture of what he does also for you. He comes to help and rescue you. He puts his power and his glory to work on your behalf. And then he lets you get the credit for his work. Isn't this an awesome picture of justification? Like the groom, we are the ones who are guilty of messing things up. But then God comes and he looks at us and he says, surprisingly, you've done good work here. This is great. Not because of anything that we've done, not because of us. It's all because of Jesus' power, because of what he has done, the righteousness that he has shared with us, that he covers us with. He's the one that's gone to all the work, and yet we are the ones who get all the credit. We are guilty of sin, but Jesus puts his righteousness upon us so that God now looks at you and he says something to your great surprise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. How great is this? A happy surprise. It's a great epiphany, a revelation that we have about our Savior's willingness to help us. How great is it that because of Jesus' help, you and I can now stand with complete confidence before Almighty God, knowing that we are at total peace with him, knowing that, that we are forgiven, that we are his own children, that we have heaven waiting for us. And Jesus wants you, he wants you to have this credit, his credit. And he delivers what he has done to you now today as he takes ordinary water, and he doesn't change it into wine, but something better. He changes the life he changes, changes the water in our baptism into a, a life-giving washing of regeneration. Here in the baptismal font, we find a fountain of eternal life. Jesus also takes something like ordinary bread and wine, and he performs a great miracle with it for you, for me. He joins his own body and blood to the bread and wine, and he offers it to us to eat and to drink, and he promises that all who, who receive it with faith and with repentant hearts can walk away assured that our sins are completely forgiven. Our Lord Jesus takes an old book with ordinary words, with a simple message, and he puts his divine power into it, 
so that when it comes to you and enters into your ears and into your heart, it brings you, a sinful person, a hurting person, it brings you relief and comfort. Through the pages of the Bible, the Word of God, through, through our baptism, through, through the Lord's Supper, the Word of God opens heaven to those who don't deserve it. We get credit for what he has done. Thanks be to God for revealing to us these glorious things. Here at the wedding at Cana, you and I, we see that we have a Savior who has a heart full of compassion, a heart that is willing and wanting to help us with the problems that we face. We also see that he has the power, the ability, the glory to help. So as you and I face various problems and struggles in life, whether they are in our relationships with one another or even in our marriages, whether it's a financial issue or a health concern, whether it's something big or small, we can confidently turn to him. We put our trust in him. And we can stand in amazement as he shares with us the credit that belongs to him. For all those times when we've dropped the ball, we've disappointed others, we've failed to do what we should have done, he assures us those times are forgiven. They are wiped clean. Our Lord offers his help to us, even as we face the struggles and problems of this life. All glory be to him. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.